The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion's making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. multifaceted and infinitely deep and every time we read through the word God can speak to you something new and I believe he's done that for me today and I believe he'll do it for you too. First Samuel chapter 17 I want you to move down to verse 17 we are going to read the story that some of you first heard on a flannel graph so many years ago. Are you ready? Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and he took the things and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the camp of the army as the army was going out to fight and shout for the battle. Verse 21, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came to greet his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gad, Goliath by name, came up from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to the same words so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now, dreadfully afraid is significantly stronger than just afraid. That's like running and hiding, not just feeling afraid. Verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. What a deal. Verse 26, and David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what should be done for the man who does this? Kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered and said, in the same manner, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. In other words, you're going to be enriched with great riches. You're going to get the king's daughter and you get tax exemption. 
And he's in shock. He can't believe it. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence in your heart and how you've come down to see the battle. In other words, just to watch. And David said, what have I done now? What does the older brother, younger brother think? He said, is there not cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. In other words, David is in shock about, like, are you serious? I get the girl, and I get for real, for rizzle, really? Do I really? I get the girl, I get tax exemption, I get some money. 17 years old, he's got to be pretty happy about it. I mean, he's, but he's in shock that nobody's taking up the deal. And that's why three times, three times he asked. Verse 32, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart, they brought David to Saul and and he says to him, let no man's heart fail because of him, for your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go out against a Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came, he took, it, took, uh, took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard. And struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on the bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. In verse 40, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag and in a pouch which he had with his sling on his, in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, You come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistines, You come at me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your, take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcass to the camp, the carcass and the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and all the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came to draw near David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took a stone out and, and, his, and, and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead. Ooh. Yes, sown stank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. And David, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no hand in the sword, there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran, verse 51, and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for what, you're, what you've been doing here, Lord, what you've been doing in our lives. We stand in awe of your goodness and your grace towards us. We thank you that today you're going to give us living understanding, that today you're going to speak to us out of the volume of your word. Lord, you'd write even on the fleshly tablets of our heart that we might not ever be the same after this morning, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory and the honor in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have two messages burning on my heart, so I'll probably preach two different messages this morning, even though we have basically no room for anybody else to be in the next service. So, but we're so glad you're here in the first. Walking, in other words, the second service is capacity, as I understand it. So um, if you want to hear two messages, we'll make room for you, I'm sure. we got some extra chairs probably going to preach two different messages this morning. Just have two things burning on my heart, and this is the first one. We had the great joy, my wife and I, of, uh, along with a group of people, about 31 of us, 30, 31, 32, 33 people went to uh, the uh, Holy Land tour. We went to Israel, and we went to uh, Istanbul, and we went to Rome. Uh, and it was just absolutely life-changing. There's, um, there's nothing like seeing and touching and putting your hands on things that you have faith and have faith and believed in already, but then you get to go there and stand in the tomb where our hero rose from the dead to, to be in these different places. And so we'll, we'll do the trip again a little over a year from now, and um, we would encourage as many of you as possible to go. It would be February in 2007. The end of the month will be right after our prophetic conference, 2017. A little bit over a year from now, we'll go again. And it was life-changing. For me, when we rolled up to this valley, the valley, that I, the valley of Ella, here where this battle was, and, you know, many, many archaeological sites and places in Israel, they, they, they say things like, this is the supposed site of... Uh, for instance, there's... There's at least two different places they say the tomb of Jesus was. When I started hearing all of that, I'm just kind of getting discouraged. I'm like, really? Can, can, where's the real one? You know. Uh, but how many of you know the thousands of years? It, it can be a little. Uh, you know, you got archaeological people building over things. As our our, our tour guide in Italy said, it, history is like a lasagna. There's just all these layers of people building in churches and then wars and so on and so forth. So you're talking thousands of years later. 
we went to the, the, the location of the tomb um, that the Catholics have gotten hold of there and they've commemorated and it was so um, it was the stone if you go to my Facebook you can see some of this stuff the stone where they washed the body of Jesus and just to see people um, flocking to see all of that and to get into the place where they say the tomb was was so um, cluttered with religious symbols and religiosity the simplicity of the gospel just gets so confused with all of this stuff. So I was able to enter into that, that particular tomb there, and I think I might have taken the first selfie inside the tomb that they... I don't think that's the spot. I, I, my, I, in my reading and what I've studied, I think the garden tomb is the location of where Jesus uh, was crucified on Golgotha and then brought to the garden tomb. And it just fits what scripture says way better than the other location. So with all the religiosity and being the rebellious person against religion that I am, I figured I would go in there and take a selfie with me and my wife. I might have taken the first selfie inside the supposed, the supposed tomb. <laughs> all right, well, you didn't think it as nearly as funny as I did, but... The garden tomb, um, there wasn't a dry eye among us. We were absolutely uh, undone by the presence of the Lord as we took communion there. And, uh, and our, gu our guide um, was undone. All of us were just weeping, touched. And, and we'll share more about that probably a, a week from now. We'll have a testimony night on a Sunday night and share about it and show some pictures and stuff. Uh, next week, next Sunday night, we'll share. Everybody will be home from the trip. Some folks are still traveling, so... But we rolled up to this valley, this valley of Ella, and, and we walked into the valley, and we saw the two hills. Now, this is not, a, you know, if one would be absolute and ten would be, you know, very, a, a possibility that it was its location. So every historical site has like a, a one to ten capacity. So this was, this is like a one. This is like, this is the valley of Ella. This is where... And they have archaeological evidence of where it's located and the stream and the whole thing. So we were able to walk in this valley. From the time I set my foot on the valley, I couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop weeping. I'm standing in the creek where David chose five smooth stones. I stood in the creek. I stood in the creek and I, you know, I, I picked up some stones. And I, I, I mean, I... We read the story, and I couldn't stop weeping because I could see the whole thing in motion picture. And I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share this this morning, that He wants each and every one of us to be a giant killer. He wants you to be able to overcome every single ob obstacle in your life, no matter what you're facing today, no matter what closed door might be before you. No matter what challenge you're facing or sickness or disease or financial struggle, whatever kind of giant you have before you, an emotional giant, you know, I've had those, a financial giant, no matter what the obstacle is, God is able to bring you through and drop that thing and to bring you on into victory. Can somebody say amen? And so this morning, I just want to give you some very simple uh, insights or instructions on how to kill giants. Very simple. The, f the first thing I see is that David doesn't think like anybody else. He's not thinking like the guys that are so terrified. He thinks differently. 
I don't know if it was the girl that was motivating. I tend to think, no, it wasn't. But that was going to be part of the bonus package. I don't think the tax exemption was what motivated him. And I don't think it was the great riches that was going to come from King Saul that motivated him. I think what shocked him was that, that here is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes out and defies the very army of the living God. He could not fathom it. He just, he can't understand it. In other words, this boy's from a different piece of cloth. He thinks so differently because I believe that his mind was renewed. Believe me, you listen, you got to think differently. If you're going to overcome the obstacles, challenges, you're going to overcome the giants in your life, you're going to have to think differently. You're not going to, you're going to have to learn how to get over fear and learn that if God before you, who can be against you? Learn that when God's with you, come on, he'll, he'll give you victory. And so David, he's, he just thinks differently. It was the Lord who had helped him kill the lion. It was the Lord who helped him kill the bear. And he, he just knew that God had come upon him to help him to do that. Listen, 17-year-olds with a slingshot. I'm, I was pretty good with a slingshot. I'm pretty good with a BB gun. I mean, we're talking a bear. You all know what a bears are. Now bears in Israel are smaller. They're not like giant grizzlies. Uh, but a lion's a lion. And so David killed the lion and he killed the bear in defending of the flock. You see... One of the keys of understanding this whole text is understanding the anointing because it was, it was Samuel the prophet who came and anointed him to be the next king and that happened just prior to this. But to think that it was the anointing from Samuel and the horn that was poured over his head when he began to walk in, in intimacy and power with the Lord, I think that would be a mistake. It was in those fields at night it was, it was at those times when he had to face his fear and he would play his harp and he would call on the Lord and when the lion would come and the bear would come, he'd call on the Lord. And he knew it was God that would guide his stone. He knew that it was God that was helping him. Come on, youth, youth, regular men, women, you know, killing. Yeah, when I had a forty-five seventy and I went bear hunting, I wanted the bigger weapon. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When we go in bear hunting, I got a forty-five seventy, pretty good size, you know, yeah, I want another one. I want a cannon, some dynamite. I'm like, I got my handgun, I got my gun, I want another gun. Slingshot. We're talking a slingshot. And he knew that it was God who anointed him to do it. And so now when he faces this situation, he's aghast. He's amazed. He's like, What? What? What's, what's going to be done? In other words, he just can't believe it. How come, nobody's, how come nobody's stepping up to kill this fool? He's in shock because nobody else is thinking that way. You know what I've found? I've found that the more you walk with the Lord and face your fears, and they, 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 you know, your, your fears, if you learn to face them with God's presence and power, you learn to... to, to to abide in His presence and obey His word, then there's nothing that can stop you all of your life. Really not one thing. And so David did that. And I think he's done it for years now. It's amazing. I think he also knew about how God brought Israel through over and over. He knew the stories of Moses. He knew the stories of Joshua. He knew his history. He knew that what God had done before, He can do now. That it wasn't a big deal for him to drop some ugly fat head. It wasn't. 
And he knew that. Let me read to you some scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, now all of these things happen to them as examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul writing the Corinthians, talking about the Old Testament saints, says, look, all of these things are written so that you can be encouraged. Because if God did it through them before, He can do it through you right now today. It says in Hebrews 12 and, and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Listen, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And the question is, what has God called you to do? What does He want you to do? And if there's, you, you, you can resist and overcome. And, and David did just that. He overcame. He thought differently. Come on, somebody say, God, touch my, touch my mind. Help me. The battle is the Lord's. Deuteronomy 20 is a favorite, ver favorite chapter of mine, verse 1. It says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see the horses and chariots and the people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. See, if He's not with you, you have everything to be afraid of. But if He's with you, then... That you don't have to be afraid. The Lord our God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you're on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people and shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is He who is with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Hey, listen, the, the question is, are you in the will of God and is God with you? If you're in the will of God and God's with you, we know that because of the word, then God will fight for you. I love what one of our guests, um, uh, John Bossman said. He said, God's man is God's responsibility. In other words, if you are his man or you are his woman, you are walking with him and you're, you're keeping your heart. I mean, we all stumble and trip. But I'm not talking willful disobedience. I'm talking living for God as best you can, a life of repentance, walking, abiding with Him. And when you face an obstacle, it's really just an opportunity for you to move forward and give God glory. When you face a giant, it's just an opportunity for you to sink a stone in its head and to give God glory. When you face problems that are insurmountable or diseases, you don't know which way to go. He has a way. He makes a way. He makes a stream. He makes pools in the desert. He will always bring you through. The question is, is your conscience convicting you or are you, are you right with God? And if you are right, then you have nothing to be afraid of. You know, we're in Israel and, and uh, people were, you know, some were concerned. I, I love what Dr. Morocco said. I, I called him. I said, there's a lot of stuff going on in Israel. He says, yeah, Pastor Bracken, it's Israel. They've been going there for 30 years. The same thing's happening as it was 30 years ago. He said, it's, it's all right. And the question is, are you in the will of God? And while we're in this garden tomb, we see the tomb. I mean, it's overwhelming. Most people are weeping. We, we, we go into the garden and we're taking communion in the garden where the tomb is. Why we're taking communion, we hear gunfire. Pop, pop! Sirens going off everywhere. And, the, and our guide's like, you know, he's kind of giving us the nod like, tour's over. <laughs> we stayed and prayed and 
the, the, you know, the, everybody's kind of emptying out of the garden tomb area and getting on their buses, and there's, you can hear the chaos of the city and nothing like Paris. I'm going to preach on that tonight, most likely, uh, and some of the difficulties that we're seeing. So you don't want to miss that. But we had peace. In the midst of all of that, okay, it's time to go gunfire. We had the peace of God. We knew that we were right exactly where we should be. Well, we fasted, we prayed, we knew we were in the will of God. If you know you're in the will of God, then God will anoint you. God will help you. David knew that. He thought differently. I love this next point. Eliab, his brother. You remember Eliab? It's the big tall one when, when Samuel comes and he's, he's looking for the next, the next leader, the next king over Israel. He sees Eliab and he's head and shoulders above everybody else, which is funny to me because it's the same kind of way Saul was. The seven brothers come out. It's a picture of perfection in the flesh. And, and Samuel says, surely, Lord, this is the one. This good-looking, strapping, really tall. And the Lord says to him that famous scripture, man looks with the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, and it is said of, of David that it's possible that he was of another woman. In other words, a another relationship other than Jesse's wife, and he had some other woman or mistress. There's some controversy about that. But one thing we know is a dysfunctional family because David's not even invited to meet the prophet. I mean, when Samuel showed up, weather patterns changed. This is a serious man of God. He comes to Bethlehem, which we went to. It's not the little city either anymore. It's a hustling, bustling town of Bethlehem filled with tourists and pilgrims. Tremendous. He goes to Bethlehem, the house of bread, and David is not even invited to, to, to meet the prophet. I mean, I, like, nice. Thanks, Dad. The, he's the youngest. Is, there, is this it or are there more? He says, well, there's David. He's the youngest or the younger, which is really, a, it's like the runt. It's, it's not a real nice statement if you study that word out. David comes and he's anointed with oil. I think the thing that's amazing to me now is David shows up to deliver uh, pizza, basically. Cheese and bread. Pizza delivery. And his older brother sees him and in his anger, basically accuses him of something that's just flat out not true. He misjudges him. He sees him and he says, man, David, I know, who, I know what you're here for. You're just here to watch, you little punk. Where's those few little sheep? And, and he's like, dude, what's your problem? Anybody grow up and you get siblings? This is the case. This is what this is. This is like, you know, older brother, younger brother thing. He's like, dude... But he didn't let it affect him. Listen, if people misjudge you, who cares? I've been misjudged many, many times. And I've misjudged people, unfortunately. I'm trying not to do that anymore. David didn't let misjudgment affect him. He didn't shut down his zeal. He didn't shut, out his, shut down his passion and his, his, his cause in his heart to take out this uncircumcised Philistine. He was seen as only a shepherd boy, seen as filled with pride. 
his motives were questioned. Listen, if that happens to you, just encourage yourself with it. You don't even have to defend yourself. And if it's true and you're pinned and, and you get rebuked by somebody who's questioned your motives and your motives aren't right, repent. But David didn't let any of that stuff affect him. And I love the fact that as he, he runs out to Goliath, but it wasn't his first battle. He's been in ministry a little while, and I've seen many people that have come in and say, man, I just want to plant a church. I just want to do this thing. I want to be a traveling evangelist, but they can't even be faithful to actually come to church. They, they, can't, they can't commit themselves to a small group, but they actually, you know, they, they want to go lead a work or go open a nation or go travel. God's called me to the nations. I believe he has called you to the nations, and you're going to start with your room. Clean your room. In other words, David, David's confidence didn't come just from some foolish assumption. He actually had, he had, he had some experience with the Lord. But see, you want to do something great for God, I think the great thing for God that we can all do is obey Him right now, right today, exactly what He's putting His finger on today. Obey Him in our area of influence, in our lives, in our relationships with those who maybe don't have such, so much honor for us. We, many times you're without honor in your own home, and I think that's because if you can't learn to do without honor, then when you get honor, you'll blow up. And so David, he, he charged Goliath, but he, he, didn't, he didn't do it without experience. He had some experience. And I, I, the, the second thing I see here is, is he tried on this, this, the armor of Saul. Now, I've got lots of stories about this. It's taken me quite a while to find my own rhythm in ministry and how God uses me and what my giftings and talents are and my weaknesses. It's, it's taken me a while to figure that out. And I suppose I'm still growing and believing for my weaknesses to become strengths and my strengths to get stronger and so on and so forth. But many people don't understand that... Listen, God's not trying to make cookie cutters. And so David tried on Saul's armor, and he said, I can't use it, I've not tested it. You know, he used armor later. Later on he used armor, but here he didn't. He knew his own giftings. He knew his own talents. And he, and he used those to bring victory. And God wants to do the same thing through you. Can you say amen? He risked his life. Well, that's worth making note of. He risked his life. What do you mean? Listen, if, if you aren't willing, if you aren't willing to risk your, your all, when God calls you to do something, I will tell you, he, will, he calls you to do something, He will many times require you to put your Isaac on the altar. And it's really uncomfortable, and it's a personal death. But without death, there's no resurrection. And so when, when, God, when God's raising up a man of God, when God's raising up a woman of God, He does it through fiery trials. And we don't like those. We don't like those scriptures that say, you know, pick up my, your cross and follow me. In other words, head on your way to crucifixion, buddy. And we don't like that. We just, you know, we just want it smooth. And thank God for the wonderful smooth times. Amen. But God didn't save you to be comfortable. He, he, didn't, he didn't come to, he didn't, he didn't come to, to, to make you to, to be comfortable. He came to afflict the comfortable. He came to comfort the afflicted. And if you're going to do anything for God, it's going to require 
everything you have. And if you're not willing to do that, then you'll just settle somewhere. And only the Holy Spirit can put upon your heart what that is. Nobody can come to say, oh, you have to, you have to do this. You have to give that. Don't, don't, don't let anybody ever tell you what you have to give. I mean, tithing's 10%. We understand that. I'm talking about all of your life. You let the Lord lead you. You let the Lord guide you. But David ran. Do you know he could, if he blew it, he would have been, he'd have been killed. You know, it's a fine line between ultimate victory and total destruction. <laughs> He, he risked his life. It says in, in, in Revelation chapter 12, they overcame him, talking of Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved their lives not so much as to shrink from death. What does that mean? That means they weren't afraid to charge. They had courage. They, they weren't afraid to lose their life, and as a result, they got the victory. That's the case with David. David risked his life when he risked it all, faced that giant. Hallelujah. Pastor Alex, would you come? God wants to give you victory over your giants. God can take a 17-year-old kid with a rock. He could use you. He can anoint what you do to, to be something that causes the, that which is even defying the army of God to be removed. He, he wants you to be a giant killer. You know, it's interesting that David chose five smooth stones. Uh, Goliath had, had five brothers, a total of five, four other brothers. There's a total of five giants you'll see even later on in Scripture. Some say he, choose, he chose five smooth stones because he was going to kill all his brothers. I think that's a real stretch. But this kind of makes for a cool preaching point. I just don't think it's true. I don't think he was trying to take out all five. But he does fight against those giants later on with his, his men. He's wearing armor, by the way. And he had trained and raised up a bunch, of, a bunch of giant killers. And it was actually interesting at that time, and it's... I'm not sure where it is. You can go be a good Berean and look it up. Um, but he was going to lose. The giant was going to kill him. Ishbi Ben Benab, I think is his name is. And uh, they stepped in. His, his, um, his brother stepped in and, and saved him. I, don't, I mean, his brothers, his, the army that he had trained, his disciples, if you will. And they said, we'll not let the lamp light of Israel go out you're not allowed to go out to battle with us anymore David they said something to that effect in fact there's an assassination attempt this, it's interesting to note this there's an assassination attempt from hell towards the life of David and you see it over and over and over and I think, believe the reason is is because if the son of God could be snuffed out early how many of you know that Jesus came from the lineage of David We've got to not only kill our own giants, but we have to, we've got to train others to do the same thing. Can you say amen? Would you stand? I'll tell you what makes the difference in David's life is, is the anointing.
What do you mean by that, the anointing? It's the enablement of the Holy Spirit upon your life. It's the, the unction to function and get the, the God stuff done. It's, come on, how many of you drove here today? Do you know what grade fuel you put, gasoline you put in your vehicle? I'm just wondering. Do you know? Do you know you put, which one did you pick? The cheap one? You put the high one? You have a diesel? Who's got a diesel? Anybody diesel? You better not put gasoline in your diesel vehicle. That's why in our house we, we call gasoline gas and we call diesel fuel. So if you don't, if you don't put fuel or gas in the tank of your vehicle, depending upon what kind of engine you have, you're not going to be moving anywhere. You ever, have you ever run out of gas? The anointing is like the, it's like the fuel. It's the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It gives you courage, gives you strength to resist, to resist sin, to resist the devil. It gives you the, the, the God ability to, to take out the, the giant. You need, some of you need some fuel today. Some of you need some gas today. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Let, let the Holy Spirit feel you, touch you. I think David abided I, in the sweet psalmist of Israel, writing those psalms in that, before those sheep in that field, playing his harp. It's there that God anointed them. It's there that he learned to think differently. When you come into the presence of God, and you learn to walk in His presence. He will change your desires. He will change the way that you think. Don't just be a, don't be a carnal Christian. Don't just be a, an intellectual Christian that has understanding of the Word, but has no anointing. You need fresh oil today, right now. Come on, ask God for it. Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost, come. Holy Spirit, come. Bring a fresh touch upon each and every one of these. Oh, God. Pour over us. Fresh anointing. Fresh empowerment. Fresh anointing. As David said, I will be anointed with fresh oil. It's a choice, God. You, you paid the price death, your resurrection, you said that you would send another, you would send the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit come upon us. It's the anointing that made the difference for David. Three successive anointings in his life. God, we need a new touch of heaven. And that you would give us a boldness to charge. Knowing that you will guide our, our lives, that you'll guide our words, that you will use us, Lord. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against us in condemnation shall be condemned. This is the inheritance of the saints. Lord, thank you. Holy Spirit, touch.
drifted in your walk or whether you've never given your heart to Him, if you've compromised and you know that you're not right with God, I charge you to be reconciled to Him today. If you've never given your heart to Him, then won't you do it before you leave this service? You say, that's me, Pastor Dane. You want to be included in this prayer to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or you want to recommit because you've drifted and your heart's gone cold, you want to come home. Or perhaps, thirdly, you just want to be sure and the devil comes, he lies to you, whispers to you that you're not saved and you want to be assured of your salvation. Those online, those here in the congregation, if that's you, would you slip your hand up right now? fit in any of those categories. Give your heart to Jesus. Won't you do it now? Praise God. Let's affirm our faith. Let's pray right out loud with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for, for dying in my place. And thank you for rising again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. And come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray and fill and touch each other. Lord, right now I pray for those who are going through a battle. Those who are going through a battle, Lord, that you would release strength and confidence by the Spirit of God. Fear go. Anxiety go. Lord, right now, touch each and every one. Lord, that you would enable each and every one of us, Lord, to, to take our mountain, to take the land, starting with our homes and our relationships. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska, and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.